politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots standing at the ready to fight once again for our life, liberty, property. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house today, Thursday, February 17th. And it is a good day to fight for liberty, for life, for our just governance. But the question is, how do we fight for it when we have a political party that is supposed to represent the opposition, the sane average citizen, the non-global genocidal elites, that is actually malignant, malfeasant, perfidious? How do you fight a war when the gun you're using not only doesn't fire, fails to fire, but misfires, and the bullet comes out the back into you? In other words... Every once in a while, I need to remind you guys, as much as I'm trying to find solutions, and even today, we're going to discuss, we're going to do round robin around the states. I haven't done this in a while, kind of update you on what I'm seeing going on in state legislatures, good bills that we need to support, bad bills we need to swat down. Uh, I need you guys to email me as well if I'm missing anything. I can't monitor all the legislatures. We're all about activism, but at the end of the day, How do you fight when all of our fruits of of our labor will go into the black hole called the Republican Party? Oh, well, Daniel, it's not about that. It's the people. It's the people rising up. I understand that. But politically, legally, ultimately, how does that manifest? Well, the Democrats in charge will be pressured because the people and they'll get rid of their stuff. Okay. They might, half-baked, temporarily, in a way that just lets out enough of the air to take the pressure off, and the next time they start from an even higher baseline. Remember, any bit of COVID fascism that continues after we go back to normal plays into their hands by redefining the new normal. So what happens is it's a goose step, a one-two step between the Republicans and Democrats. The Republican Party is basically the plan B of the globalists. When they face annihilation at the ballot box to ensconce their policies through a refuge where they can escape the ire of the voters, and that's the GOP. So the Republican Party invades against the policies just enough, too little, too late, that it makes the voters satisfied but not enough to make a difference. And the Democrats retreat strategically just enough to reload. That is basically, in a nutshell, what is going on today. And that's what we need to change. Now, our first sponsor today, look, if we're stuck with these options, Republicans and Democrats, we might want to move to Panama. If you check out buypanamanow.com slash conservative, you could find out why owning property in Panama makes you 10 times richer. It's a high-income nation. It's not really a third-world country. They use the U.S. dollar as currency, except your dollar is worth 10 times more than it is today. Right now, as a fan of my show, you can learn more about this opportunity by getting the complete Invest and Retire in Panama series, including the American's Guide to Living and Retiring in Panama, along with four videos all for free. Check it out at buypanamanow.com slash conservative, 100% free. That's buypanamanow.com slash conservative. 
So what do I mean to say that the GOP is a defeat mechanism, it's a plan B for the globalists? What's happening right now is, obviously, it's untenable for the public health Nazis to continue what they're doing, the Democrats in power here, the Labor Party in power in Europe, uh, in Canada, and really many places in Europe as well. They're going to have to let the air out of the balloon. Now, what happens when one team or one army wants to make a strategic retreat? Well, if you want to defeat them, you don't allow them to make that strategic retreat, and you turn the retreat into a rout and an annihilation. But it's a two-step game that they count, it's a wink and a nod, they count upon the Republicans to indulge that, to not annihilate them, to not press the advantage, to kind of, yeah, we're all done with COVID, we need to be done with COVID, stop masking the kids, okay, we're done. So what's going to happen is the Democrats will only let go of the minimal amount that they feel they need to let go of at a given time. And Republicans will not press them any further. Think about it. You look at the severity of what we're seeing with the destruction to civilization, the the, the lying, the obfuscation of data. The, the Scottish public health officials just announced because they, they actually, in, in the Glasgow Times, they mentioned the blaze, which is me. Uh, that we were using the data, we were simply screenshotting their charts showing higher case rates and higher hospitalization death rates among the double-vaxxed and the unvaccinated and warning that the triple-vaxxed were headed in that direction based on the pattern of of waning and then negative efficacy, they said, we're not going to publish the data anymore. That's how corrupt the governments are. But where are these Republicans? Do you see them speaking to the severity of the issue? No. Two years ago, the Republicans were totally on board and bought into this and did everything they can. Now, they're where they should have been two years ago after two years of war crimes, two years of data, science, revelations that have come to the forefront about about the shots. I mean, you look at even Glenn Youngkin, who, you know, he's starting to do okay things, but again, this would have been okay a year ago when unmasking the kids, that should have been done then. But at this point, you know, he's out there praising the shots. Glenn Youngkin has created a PSA, public service announcement, urging vaccinations. His plan calls for reprioritizing resources to vaccine education outreach. What? What in the world is that? What in the world is that? Literally, there's an article out in Nature today that showed even the proposed Omicron boosters, right? They failed the animal trials that actually just came out today. They don't, it's outdated. So certainly the current iteration, it's outdated. It's all pain and no gain. How could you continue promoting them saying, but I oppose mandates? Okay, so then you're going to allow the Democrats to escape and continue to spend money on this and continue to pressure people to get it rather than spending the money on so many more important things, including early treatment? How do you do that? Even Ted Cruz was on with, I think, Glenn Beck 
talking about how the vaccines are great. I just oppose mandates. What in the world? It's like they've learned nothing. It's like it's January 2020 or 2021 all over again. And that's why if you look carefully, you look at Rochelle Walensky said yesterday that they're not ready to update their mask guidance. There was rumors that, okay, CDC would just say you don't have to wear a mask anymore. No, if and when we update guidance, we will communicate that clearly. But right now, there's too many cases and we're not doing it. So even that, which we thought would be gone, they're not changing. Some governors, are blue, blue state governors are doing it, but they're not even letting that go, much less the masking on airplanes. Much less the, you know, the, the, the healthcare worker mandates, the military mandates, all this stuff. Yet how many Republicans do you know are pressing the advantage, are speaking to the severity of it? You could count them on your hands, federal, state. You know, later today we'll have um, Chip Roy join us at the end of the show to update us on the defund fight. How many Republicans care about that? Now is the time. Let me illustrate you illustrate to you what could be done to the left and what they're not doing. There's an amazing article in Politico, GOP culture war attacks alarmingly potent DCCC warns. That's the Democrat House Committee for the House campaigns. Democrats' own research shows that some battleground voters think the party is preachy, judgmental, and focused on, on culture wars. And the party's House campaign arm had a stark warning for Democrats, unless they more forcefully confront the GOP's alarmingly potent culture war attacks from critical race theory to defunding the police, they risk losing significant ground to Republicans in the midterms. Think about this, folks. For, for my entire career, we were told we have to abandon the culture issues, which means allow the left to battle the culture. And we're told these are losing issues. So Republicans never press their advantage. And now we see that's not true. We were told for years, if you press illegal immigration, you'll lose the Hispanic vote. And ironically, we're the most aggressive that ever. And the Hispanic vote has shifted more towards Republicans than ever in history. According to the latest poll, Biden has a 43% approval rating with Hispanics. He's underwater, which is unprecedented for a Democrat president. And we're told to run away, run away from it. Oh, defund the police. But folks, you you heard it here first. I was the last man standing on crime. I was literally the only guy with a byline standing. Think about that. Trump bought into jailbreak. Now that it's too little, too late, the damage is done. Crime is sky high. The, the record number of criminals released. Oh, yeah. Now it's time to fight it. But even then, it's not like, name me one state where they're passing significant tough-on-crime legislation that's going to lock up a lot of the violent criminals. I can't think of one. So even when they finally indulge the culture war, it's more just a talking point, an ephemeral talking point to get them through the next election and then do nothing about it. Because even their rhetoric and certainly their action doesn't match the severity of the situation we're confronted with nor the specificity of detail that we need to give over to the public and pursue legislatively to accomplish their supposed goals. Now, folks, one of the ways to actually organize, in my mind, for a third party is to join Patriot Academy's Constitution Coach program. It's an online course with materials produced by uh, by Rick Green, my buddy, America's Constitution Coach, 
as well as historian David Barton. Uh, you basically get a as many people as you want together in your living room. You download the courses. You learn about our history, our Constitution, and you then you'll understand both parties are failing us. It's absolutely free. Uh, Patriot Academy's courses have almost 100,000 enrolled in 2021 alone. Go to patriotacademy.com. Check out their other programs. They have a great um, semester of college program uh, for 18 to 24-year-olds. To Check that out as well. Uh, it's easy. Just go to patrioteconomy.com. That's patrioteconomy.com and sign up today to help restore our constitutional republic. So I want to read more of this Politico article. Um, they note the GOP hits are most effective with center-left voters, independents, and Hispanic voters. Demographics groups the Democrats have struggled to attract in recent years. So, summarizing the party's midterm problems bluntly, the presentation notes that voters think Democrats are not making good use of their majority. So, wouldn't now be the ultimate time to engage in a defund fight over destroying people's lives over a clot shot that's all pain and no gain, the lockdowns, everything, the masking of children, put it all on the table. But no. The Republican Party is the plan B of the globalists. They know they could only get into power for two, four-year increments, do their stuff, and then Republicans get in, and they know they could continue and pick up from where they left. They know this with a lot of confidence. And even when Republicans are in charge, remember, COVID, the worst thing in our lives, everything we fought for, whatever your issue is, COVID brought out the worst of it. Life, liberty, property. Everything else was just a fire drill. This was the real thing. That broke out with a Republican president, Republican Senate, Democrat House, and Republicans with control of at least half the states. And remember, the states were very important because it was the state and local authorities that really catalyzed a lot of this. Okay? So Republicans could take over. Let, let, let's just indulge me for a minute. Let's say Republicans win 56 Senate seats and 270 House seats. 32 governors. Record control of state legislatures, more than 30 of them. Up and down the ballot, county, everything. Biggest blowout in history. Well, Biden's still going to be president. If Republicans are going to say that they cannot engage in a brinkmanship battle over must-pass legislation like budget bills, debt ceilings, defense authorization bills, farm bills, they're not necessarily must-pass. All of the, the budget is considered, obviously, but they're, they're, they're deemed as mu mu much must-pass. Um, you know, you don't have to pass a defense authorization bill, but they did every year since World War II, so it's kind of like they feel they have to do it. The point is, even if you, first of all, then the Democrats could filibuster in the Senate. Remember, you'll have that. But even putting that aside, so you pass the House, you pass the Senate, well, Biden will just veto it. And they'll say, look, we tried. Now you need to give us the presidency. And we're going to repeat the cycle over and over again. And remember, as we're going to get to in a minute in my presentation of what's going on in the states, Republicans already control trifecta supermajorities where Democrats can't filibuster, they don't have any control anywhere, and they still adopt the other side's policies. 
So in many ways, they'd rather the Democrats get in charge. Let me give you some examples. Let's let's start with Texas today. Okay? Let's start with Texas. This is from Katie Christian Magazine. Abbott, Patrick, and Phelan. Phelan, Phelan, he's the Speaker of the Texas House, shut down child protection bills after taking $2.47 million from PACs affiliated with pediatric gender modification clinics. And um, they they note that... um, Texas Governor Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, and Representative Dade Phelan, Speaker, have collectively received $2.47 million in campaign contributions from Border Health PAC and Friends of UT Southwestern Medical Center PAC, both directly affiliated with Pediatric Gender Modification Centers. Um, in 2022 alone, the three combined took in 400000 from Border Health PAC, which is linked to Doctors Hospital Renaissance, um, which supports uh, mutilation, castration. So the point is, if you want to know um, why, you know, since October of 2019, several bills were filed in the Texas House in two separate sessions to end the castrations, why, why, do, why do these governors not speak out and call for a special session? And when you have a session make known their priorities, right? Everyone knows that the governor leads the way, even more so than a president with Congress, right? I think you all understand the structure of state governments and just the culture of how weak, for better, for worse, and mainly in my view, for worse, how weak the state legislatures are. The governor really commands the control, the bully pulpit there, even more than the president does relative to Congress. Congress is a much stronger institution than a state legislature. And... That's the thing. Everything is a fake fight. They fake fight it, and and the Democrats want the fake fight. If you didn't have the Republican Party right here, right now, today, do you know what would happen? Do you know what would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. People would get so ticked off, the Democrats would get thrown out and would force a resolution of a new movement to take up its place and germinate a new political party out of that, built upon the truckers, built upon the average citizen, a new alliance, a new coalition to fight the global elites. Instead, the Republican Party is there to pick up the windfall, the conservative party, in, in, which is a misnomer, in Canada. Oh, all the, a lot of people are passing around these really tough clips of these conservative parliamentary member MPs in in Ottawa talking smack about Trudeau. Where the hell were these people for two years? I'll tell you where they were. Just like the Republicans, they were on the other side. So now they'll ride the wave a little bit in a very superficial way. But here's the deal. I put together a list of dozens of, of, of agenda items that are emergencies that must be passed, and Republicans have the power supermajorities, trifectas in 20 or so states, and almost none of them are being passed. I'll give you a progress report. A handful of states have one or two things that are introduced, passed committee, but in no state are we passing a significant amount of them bicamerally being signed into law. By the end of the session, a couple states will do a couple things, but that's it. And these are not big things we're asking for. We're not asking for reformation of Social Security and Medicare. 
tough issues, how to remake the healthcare system. We're talking about one-offs. Making sure doctors don't get punished for prescribing. Making sure pharmacies can't block prescriptions. Ending all the mandates truly. A patient bill of rights in the hospitals. Oversight and transparency uh, with the state health department on Pfizer. Basic, basic things that need to be done that we're owed that aren't being done. My constitutional amendments. Remember, Texas is not even in session. Okay? They're not even in session today. Until next year. They have failed to pass a single bill on the mandates. A single bill preventing masking from happening. A single bill from dealing with the genocide, dealing with the fact that billions of dollars are spent by the Texas Health Department doing exactly what HHS, what the feds want. A single bill protecting doctors. A single bill dealing with what's going on in the hospitals. Nothing. And they're at a session for a full year. It's insane. But let's move on. I'm just going to kind of go jump around a little bit here. Let's go to Florida. Okay, well, if not Texas, Florida is the great state, right? Well, Florida, we do have a governor that has been leading the legislature. But the legislature, when left to its own devices, is horrible. We talked about last year, they passed this jailbreak bill making uh, penalties on, on juvenile criminals even, even more lenient. The governor vetoed the bill. But it tells you the Florida legislature, imagine being a Florida Republican. You have a great story to tell. You have the most, the, the strongest governor in, in America, single-handedly living rent-free in the president's mind. Florida is surging. I mean, my sister is moving there. Tons of people are mo- moving there. She's telling me it's a whole battle with real estate. It's so hard to, to find homes anymore. Um, people are flocking there from everywhere. But the, these legislators won't even li- live up to their reputation. You guys need to know about this. HB, and and start taking notes because I'm going to be throwing a bunch of bills at you. HB 7021. At a time when we need to hold the hospitals accountable for genocide, they think that there's not enough protection for malpractice. So the bill extends malpractice exemption for all of COVID and specifically covers an action for a COVID-19-related claim against a healthcare provider which arises out of the transmission but also diagnosis or treatment of COVID-19 and provides for the fact that following government recommendations like CDC, NIH, as an affirmative defense against lawsuits. So originally it was said, look, we don't want, you know, junk lawsuits, which is conservatives we don't like, you know, for example, blaming hospitals for catching COVID at the hospitals. Okay, but that's not the only thing the bill does. It exempts them from maltreatment. Are you kidding me? So even when we're starting to win on an issue, if you look carefully at their actions, not their words, what they actually do is the opposite. Meanwhile, the uh, I think it was the House passed a bill, maybe it was the Senate, I'm forgetting which chamber, passed a bill banning abortions after 15 weeks. I'm supposed to be happy about that? I mean, like, again, th- that's yesterday's issue. They're aborting our live-born adults. 
And again, very few abortions are after 15 weeks anyway. I mean, if you want to take a bite out of that, you got to go earlier. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to hear about that issue. They keep priming the pump on the legacy issues. It's almost like, by the way, the whole pro-life issue, the way it's framed, that it's all about abortion, is almost like another WWE fight. Makes me wonder if all these years, the left almost allows that. Okay, like, you're allowed to be pro-gun, pro-life, for lower taxes. And at some point, it doesn't speak to what's going on. The pro-life issue is Joseph Mengele. We're being experimented on. If you at this point are publicly endorsing and as governor promoting the shots and spending money on them, I mean, really, they should be banned from the state, but certainly to continue spending money on them, that is a pro-life issue. If you are not working actively to open up the channels of early treatment, that is the ultimate pro-life issue. If you are not working to hold the hospitals accountable on a patient bill of rights, you are not pro-life. I don't, I don't want to hear about abortion at this juncture if that's what you're doing. So this is even Florida. Now, we'll see, obviously, there's a lot of people calling on the governor to veto this bill. I would imagine he would. I can't imagine he wouldn't, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, now, you know, on, on, on a good note, Florida, but again, this is like, it's one part of one agenda item passes committee. Like, this is how slow it is. SB 1184 protects freedom of speech of doctors. So, you know, if they speak out against the shots on social media or something, they can't get punished. Pass the Judiciary Committee, um, the Senate Judiciary Committee, 7 to 3. Now it has to go through, I think, the Probes Committee. But the point is, even that's just one part. Because it doesn't, there's protecting their speech, there's protecting their prescriptions, there's forcing the pharmacies to prescribe. Each one, like, kind of does one, but rarely are we seeing a state, or never, that does them all. And they all need to be done. Let's move on to Oklahoma. Oklahoma, uh, so so here are some, some bills to look at. Oklahoma Senate Bill 1128 fully bans employers from mandating vaccines. The hearing is actually in committee today. I think it looks like a pretty categorical bill, so that's something to push for. Oklahoma, Oklahoma Senate Bill 1128. Nathan Dom. Um, he's a state senator there. He's actually running for U.S. Senate against James Langford, uh, not James Langford, um, uh, Inoff. I think it's Inoff, um, is in cycle. Uh, he's like the go-to guy in the state Senate there. Nathan Dom's a good guy. He has some good legislation I want to point out. He has SB 1166. This is not on COVID. It's a political prisoner act makes it unlawful for the federal government to transport non-felony January 6 accused defendants through the state. Can't transport them. So I think this is really, really important. Um, and again, this is these are the type of bills that we need in the states. But all I'm doing is pointing out to you great legislation by the minority of Republicans in a given state. Almost none of them are going to see the light of day. Because leadership doesn't support it. At some point, you guys have to come up with a better answer than vote Republican. And then they're always like, okay, focus on the primaries. But then none of them focus on the primaries. I'm the only one who does that. As I've said for many years, to me, the only way out of creating a new party that might 
render something is if you abolish popular primaries in favor of conventions where you have activists who who vote and they can't be fooled by the trillion-dollar ad campaigns of people like Greg Abbott on what a great conservative they are because that will fool the people. Their name recognition, name ID, and, and special interest money count less when it's activists at a convention vote. I'm not saying the convention is perfect. I'm just saying in a given year where let's say you have you know um, 20 rhino governors up for re-election and we'll get in zero good ones or one, here we might be able to get in eight or ten. Same thing for Senate, state legislature, and so on. Otherwise, we're we're getting in one, two good people a cycle. That's not enough. That's not enough. And in fact, in many ways, the Republican establishment could use the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Nathan Doms, those people in each you know federal or state legislative chamber to kind of like you know make conservatives and the base excited while they sit. They're the ones who have the true power, and they stab us in the back. Nathan Dom also has the bill to make ivermectin hydroxychloroquine over the counter, SB fifteen twenty five. Okay, fifteen twenty five. So that is with that. Um, Wendy Stearman of Oklahoma. She has three important bills that again, this should be universal and it should pass in every red state, but it's not. That it's not just a matter of, oh, we're not going to mandate it. But the government needs to stop promoting it. HB 4321 would prohibit the Oklahoma State Department of Health, um, medical facilities, and doctors from bribing parents to have children vaccinated, all these bribe programs. Um, HB 4322 would prevent the Department of Health from using taxpayer dollars to advertise for the vaccine. Any violation of this would result in reduction in funding allocated for salaries at the Department of Health. Her third bill is HB 4316, which would protect parents or guardians of children and vulnerable adults from having vaccination status considered in the determination of fitness for custody. This is a very, very big problem. This is something that immediately needs to pass. So these are three good bills. Kudos to Wendy Stearman for those bills. Um... Let's move on to South Dakota. I, I was um, texting with uh, someone in the legislature last night. I was like, do you have anything good to share with me? She's like, no. Basically, they, they're also one of these chambers that's in session for three minutes a year. Barely could do anything. Listen to this. So they have a bill HB 1267 as their ivermectin bill. That's their ivermectin bill. It's the most modest bill I've seen of any of them introduced in the country. It's like, it's almost like begging, could we please have the right to prescribe? You can't punish us. And then it has some provision, like, provided that you have no financial benefit. Like, almost like accusing doctors of prescribing ivermectin or, or groups behind it is somehow benefiting when, in fact, it's the other side that's benefiting. It's unbelievable. It's a very weak bill. And think about this. So Republicans in the past the House, but Republicans in the South Dakota House have a 32 to 3, no, 62 to 8 majority. 62 to 8. And yet it only passed 40 to 28. 20 Republicans voted against something like this. Just basically don't, don't take away the license for prescribing ivermectin. 
and 20 Republicans in South Dakota still voted against it. So I texted this member and I said, where's Christy Nome, the governor? I mean, you know, isn't she lending her voice this? It's a pretty weak bill. It should be easy to support. It's not like a, you know, it's not like the stronger ones where, you know, either it makes it over the counter or, you know, makes it that the pharmacists have to prescribe. Um, and, 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 you know, hospitals, an inpatient provision, right, to try. No, none of that. And she said she knows that it's not going to pass the Senate anyway, so she, she, she won't say anything. In other words, rather than pushing the Senate, she relies on the Rhino Senate. The Senate's even worse. Republicans have a 32 to 3 majority. But, but all but eight or so of the Republicans are, are Democrats. So this is what happens. See, if you only had the Democrat Party, let's say for one election cycle, you had Democrats in charge of South Dakota. People would go nuts and rebel and kick them out and flush it. But now you have the pipe mixed with this gunk of the Republican Party that it's like, it's kind of like antibody-dependent disease enhancement, ADE. It's strong enough to bind, but not strong enough to neutralize. So it doesn't really do the problem, but it blocks you from properly neutralizing the virus and then it serves as a, as a tro- Trojan horse. They accomplish, Republicans accomplish for Democrats in red states what Democrats themselves could never get away with. So that's what's happening there. Let's move to the south of South Dakota, Nebraska. Okay, there they have a unicameral legislature, the only unicameral legislature. Officially, it's nonpartisan too, but it's known who's a Republican, who's a Democrat. Republicans have a supermajority, Republican governor. They had a bill, LB906, Legislative Bill 906, right? Because there's no House and Senate. It's one legislative chamber. And it was pretty strong. It wouldn't categorically prohibit employers from mandating, but it categorically prohibited denying exemptions based on moral, ethical, or philosophical belief or conviction. Kind of like the Florida bill. You'd think at this juncture, come on, something like that. I mean, just saying that you can't, just applying religious liberty law, ADA, medical exam, I mean, the way we would in any other con- context for AIDS, HIV, after everything we know, Democrats have like a 20% approval rating. Biden has a 20% approval rating in these, these type of states. You would think this would be pretty easy to do. But indeed, they amended it down to the point where it's now meaningless. The, the original sponsor, Senator Mike Moser, I think that's the impetus of the bill. But along the way, I think the bill has gotten watered down somewhat to the point where it's more symbolic than functional. And basically, the amended language narrows the bill's scope to only COVID vaccines, so not other vaccines, but even COVID brings the exemptions in line with CDC guidance. <laughs> so basically, you, could, you have to approve exemptions pursuant to the CDC. I saw something similar in Wyoming. They, they basically have like a bill banning vaccine mandates in the state, except if the federal government says you should do it. That's there. I, I don't know what to tell you guys. I don't know what to tell you guys. But if you think we will ever be able to win with the Republican Party, 
You are comatose. You're on a ventilator. I'm sorry. You've taken too much remdesivir. The Republican Party is perfectly analogous to the clot shots. Okay? Where there's this apparent illusory degree of efficacy, right? You can't deny, Daniel. Come on, it's better to have, I mean, as bad as they are, as weak as it could be, so much better, but it's better to have a Republican than a Democrat. Well, at a snapshot of time, right, just like the shots, they are effective to a certain degree for a short period of time for a certain number of people. But then they cause injury. And then they go that degree of suboptimal efficacy turns negative is a Trojan horse over time. So if you don't grab a snapshot and you look at an entire year, that's how you look at 2021 and you have many more deaths than in 2020 before a single vaccine occurred in all these countries. That's how you have um, all the Asian countries now. They have their worst death curve. Doesn't make sense how a people that seem to be partially immune to COVID suddenly are worse off. Remember, two places on Earth did very well with COVID all along, Africa and Far East Asia. The difference is Africa is still doing well, whereas Far East Asia... Now, don't get me wrong, the Far East Asian countries are much better off than America and, and, and a lot of the Western European countries. A lot of that probably has to do with their health status and their genetic makeup. But relative to their performance, they're worse off with the mildest variant after they're all vaxxed. The difference is Africa has a very low vaccination rate. Many of these countries almost nothing. Whereas in the Far East Asian countries, you're talking about Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, um, Korea. I mean, these countries have um, every literally every last person above... 12 is is vaccinated and most of them are triple vaxxed likely wipes their immune system clean so now they're they're worse off than they were before and that's a perfect metaphor for the republican party it does appear come on daniel we accomplished this okay i understand we could have done worse but if you look at a five-year window a 10-year window you notice that over time it seems like we're worse off with Republicans in charge. We need to start recognizing that. I've been yelling until I'm blue in the face for the last 15 years about this. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't have a good answer. But the grifting of the phony conservative movement is the problem, and other colleagues in this business that do what I do for a living but do it stupidly are part of the problem. But on this vein, I want to get to Congressman Chip Roy to talk about the here and now and this budget fight. Now, Congressman Chip Roy, he represents the 21st District of Texas, doesn't really need much of an intro to this audience. But I was chuckling as I was speaking the last couple of minutes thinking of Congressman Roy. We're talking about how... In many respects, the Republican Party is like antibody-dependent disease enhancement. It's like a shot that has this illusory efficacy that, you know, it seems to be pretty true in some way at some time for some people. But then when you look at that big picture, a long-term window, you're like, wait a minute. How did 
we get from point A to point B? We're worse off than we were before it. What's this illusory waning and then negative efficacy doing? And I said, it hit me. That's a perfect analogy for the GOP. How you would think on the surface it's got to be better than nothing. And there's some examples you could give that seemingly they're better than nothing. But then whenever you look, you're like, wait a minute. We're three years down the pike. We're, you know, for a, a long period of time, the Republicans controlled the House of Representatives. Really, for most of my uh, lifetime, they've controlled the House of Representatives. And we're worse off on every issue. And I thought about a conversation I had with Congressman Roy about this before he was even in Congress about what are we proud of over a given 5, 10, 15 year window? What have we ever accomplished? And this was before we faced the existential crisis to life, liberty, property, uh, humanity uh, that's COVID and COVID fascism. And here we are where we have such amazing momentum. Finally, finally against it. An international movement for freedom. Biden with a 20 to 30% approval rating in most states, especially red states. Such an opportunity to do the right thing. And yet, they're still repeating the talking points of the left. Barely any difference between them. And that gets us into the here and now with this budget battle. So with us today is Chip himself to talk about the budget battle. Chip, thanks so much for joining us again here at CR Podcast. Yeah, of course, Daniel. And uh, look, I couldn't agree more with with your framing. I I think... Uh, you, but but let's start with the positive, and then let's train our fire on the on the uh, absurdity that is the modern GOP, right? The positive is, and you referenced it. There is a there is a spark of freedom that is, I think, you know, kind of starting to shape the the current mood around the world, where we see people. I mean, I don't want to be Pollyanna-ish about it. There's a lot of things that are concerning. But seeing what's happening with these truckers in Canada, seeing the rallies in the streets in Australia, these aren't just one-day rallies. These are ongoing uh, efforts by people right in the face of tyranny and shoving it down the throats of Trudeau and uh, that, that absurdity that we've seen in New Zealand and Australia and obviously in Europe. There are a lot of people around the globe. And, and like, let's look at you know uh, Djokovic, right? I mean, Novak Djokovic, the, the tennis star, who basically is saying, no, I'm not going to go to the French Open. No, I'm not going to go to Wimbledon. I have the right to control what goes in my body. God bless him. There's a big sentiment for that. And so that's the positive, right? And so the moment, the moment here that we're in, right, this is our time, is a moment that Republicans could capture if they were willing to do it is so profound at the moment. This is our 1776 kind of moment. And we either stand up and fight for the people or we, or we do the same old, same old garbage that Republicans have done. And there's a block of us who want to do something, and then there's the block who don't. And you know who they are, largely. And we will see what happens. But as an update, as you know, and I'll, I'll turn it back over to you, the funding of the government, the federal government, expires tomorrow, I think at midnight. That was funded in December, by the way, when... The entire Republican body in the House, I think except for maybe Kinzinger, voted against the continuing resolution. And then all like 31 senators and Republican senators voted against it, but 19 voted for it. The usual suspects kicked it over to the House and then they funded government right through February 18th tomorrow. Well, last week, the House voted to extend it to March 11th 
And unfortunately, 51 Republicans, in all of their brilliance, voted to fund government despite knowing that this government was funding the bureaucrats that are enforcing these unbelievable mandatory jabs or lose your job. So now go to the Senate. And so I wrote a letter. We had 40, I think, five uh, House members, four senators, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, Rand Paul, and Ron Johnson, joined that letter to say we should not vote to fund government if it's going to maintain these mandates. Well, now fast forward. And in the Senate, Mike Lee, to his great credit, has been objecting to a time agreement. And he and five other senators uh, signed a letter saying they were going to object to the time agreement unless they got a vote on an amendment. Now, I don't I think we need to go farther than just getting a vote on the amendment. And I hope Mike and others are in that same boat, too. But at least Mike, God bless him, is objecting and forwarding and making this happen by objecting. So now here we sit. What will the Senate do? Will Senator McConnell do what he said, which is, quote, we are just going to process a few amendments this weekend and we won't have a shutdown? Or will he stand up and defend the American people? The person like the person I met last Friday who lost his job and his wife is a nurse and she's about to lose hers because of the CMS mandates. When these gutless fools in Washington pump their responsibility to the courts to pull their fat out of the fire. And then, of course, the courts let us down, as they always do, because courts aren't there to fight for liberty. We're supposed to fight for liberty. So what I find very disturbing here is about not just the here and now, but what this portends for after November or I guess January of 2023. So, you know, elections are the only thing that matters. I mean, what happens in between them doesn't seem to matter. Elections are like an end to itself for the conservative media world and everything. That's all that matters. Then we go to sleep for two years and and worry about the next election. So everything's going to magically change when Republicans win big. And they will win big. There's no question. It's impossible for Democrats to get out of the morass that they're in um, just because of how bad things are. But my concern is this. So nothing is so or nobody is so righteous as a Republican hopelessly in a minority. Now, that's certainly true in the House, right? The Senate, your whole point is they still do have leverage to block the bill, and they do. In the House, you don't really do it. But nonetheless, even then, over 50 Republicans voted for it. So what that tells me is, fast forward to next year. Oh, man, the Republicans control the House. Let's say they have 270 seats in the House. Let's give them 56 seats in the Senate. Okay, let's just do that. Well, Biden's still president. We're going to repeat that same cycle. And then even when you're president, you don't do anything anyway. But he's president, so he'll veto it. So your your main leverage, aside from holding hearings and kind of, you know, getting sound bites on conservative talk radio, your leverage is the must-pass bills. And it starts with the budget bills. You have the debt ceilings. You have your defense authorization bills, maybe foreign bills, things that the political system views as a must-pass bill. They have made it clear that they're never going to use that. So could you answer me this question? Before we even get to Mitch McConnell, the House is very righteous, right? I mean, the House Republicans are feisty. And I would say grading on a curve, it's probably they're probably generally better than they've been. But in your opinion now, if they were in the majority, would we even have the House defunding? And has Kevin McCarthy, who presumably wants to be Speaker, has he said anything on this? Well, uh, let's take the last question first. Well, unfortunately, um, Kevin McCarthy voted for that funding resolution two weeks ago. Uh, He was one of the 51. I obviously disagree with that position. 
to their credit, Steve Scalise, Elise Stefanik, um, uh, others, and I won't go through the list in case I get them wrong, uh, voted against it. Uh, to answer your question, you know, until Republicans recognize that when they're in the minority or even when they're in the majority, their fundamental responsibility is the purse string, right? It's that and then passing laws that are securing our nation. Um, and, and, then it, and then doing the work of enforcing them, which brings me back to the funding side. That is our primary leverage and it is our primary responsibility. Yet a large block of Republicans, 51 in this case, are perfectly content turning over the leverage that they have, or more importantly, the responsibility that they have. Let's forget for a moment that we're dealing with an existential crisis of the federal government for the first time in history, extending into the people, mandating they take a needle in the arm or get fired. Let's forget that travesty for a moment. Let's just talk about all the ways that the federal government is out there funding the very tyranny that is targeting the American people, and it's purposeful. They're funding the FBI that's going after parents who challenge a school board. They're funding the Homeland Security that is ignoring the law and allowing opioids to pour in our communities and kill Americans with reckless abandon while empowering cartels and empowering China. They're funding these tyrants who demand that we jab people in the arm, whether it's OSHA or CMS or whatever powers that be. They're funding the IRS that are targeting Americans. They're funding the ATF that are going to try to declare that a shoulder brace means that your AR is now unlawful and make you a felon. I can keep going down the list. We're funding education that promotes critical race theory, not in name always, by the way, but under diversity and equity and all inclusion, all this garbage that they're trying to jam yeah. down the throats of our kids and pretend they're not. I could go on and on and on. And, and, you and, could and I would just say well, on one of your that. one of your items there, I just want to double down on on the border one. If not this, what is the role of having a federal government? It was reported by Bill Mulligan of Fox News yesterday. A hundred fifty four thousand apprehensions in January. They had to go to court to get it because they stopped publishing the data, kind of like you're seeing with the COVID data now. Anything that goes against yep. the narrative, they stop publishing. The Scottish data, the Alberta data, boom, boom, boom. But whatever we use, they stopped doing. Uh, 62,573 migrants released into the U.S. last month alone. I mean, that's why you have a federal government and they're literally invading their own their own country so my question to you chip is at this juncture why even run for congress what could congress even do and wouldn't someone like you and i don't know if there's a position open be more suited to run for a state position to have texas try to pick up the slack well i i certainly am not going to disagree with you ever that we need to focus our attention on state leaders and state legislatures to do their job. I do believe we're under an invasion. I do believe Texas should act on that, but that's not what this call is about. Happy to come on and talk about that. And I know you care passionately about the border. We need states to act now. And so I 100% agree. We need school boards, take them over. We need to change policies. We need to empower parents. We need to take over district attorney's offices. We need to focus in our communities and stop, let, stop letting Washington be so shiny and distract us. That having been said, 
the good Lord puts us in places. I have a bird's eye view or maybe a front row seat, if you will, to what is going on in Washington. My calling isn't to move up the ladder, isn't to go kiss rear ends to be the next committee chair, isn't to bring home the bacon. It's to shine a spotlight on all of the things that the federal government is doing that undermine the ability of states and people to live freely according to their God-given unalienable rights. That is my calling. That is my job. It is to not care that I might offend somebody. It's to call bull on what they go when they go out and campaign. Oh, we're for securing the border. Bull crap. You, you guys have been the ones in the hip pocket of the Chamber of Commerce lying about securing the border for two decades, and now those roosters are coming home to roost, or chickens are coming home to roost. Right? Stop lying to the American people. That's my job. And right now, listening to all these Republicans talking about how they're against vaccine mandates, 51 of those people voted to fund the very bureaucracy that is forcing those mandates on the people. I mean, look, Daniel, you get calls from all over the country of people suffering, unable to get treatment, being blocked by their government from their God-given rights to care for their loved ones or even see their loved ones when their loved ones are dying. And you get calls from people who are losing their jobs. Well, so do I as a member of Congress. And so my job is to highlight that. It's to talk about the guy that I met with in Bandera last week. It's to talk about the emails I get from nurses and doctors working for MD Anderson. The very place, by the way, that helped save my life, you now have medical personnel who are going to lose their job because they say they believe it's not in their interest to get a jab. And you and I don't have to go down all that. You spend all day, every day, educating your audience on why all of that stuff is crazy. But the fact is, you're asking about Washington. Well, we got to walk and chew gum at the same time. Now, by the way, I'm going to turn the spotlight on the Texas legislature, too. They don't get a hall pass. They need to stand up and lead. Next legislative session, I'm going to push in and lean into this on schools, on on health care freedom, on the border. Texas has to lead, and they got to stop talking about it. And, and, and my job is to highlight that, and that's what I'm going to do in Congress. So, look, I am bullish, okay? You and I can both get pretty cynical and mad about the state of things. But I am bullish. I am optimistic that this virus, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. This virus has opened up a lot of eyes to things you and I were talking about two, four, six, eight years ago. My first bill in Congress was the Health Care Freedom Act. Well, yes. I'd like to say I was a little ahead of the curve, yes. recognizing that patients and doctors need to be in charge, not insurance companies or, you know, Dr. Fauci and the NIH, CDC, bureaucratic machine and the corporate yes. collusion and cronyism people, that's going on. People viewed that too much as a fiscal issue, which certainly it's the most important one. It's one fifth of the economy. It's that's where all the money is spent. But I don't think any I don't think I proper, properly articulated. It's the ultimate pro life issue. Because if yep. you don't have the ability to access the proper care and get informed consent over your body, what yes to do, what not to do, and that's in the control of this this government corporate monopoly that they created, not through the free market, and there's nothing you can do about it, and then you have a virus that mysteriously just somehow comes out out of nowhere, and then, you know, so doing nothing is not an option. you got to get care. And now it's like, hey, here, here's what's going to happen. You're a bunch of lab rats. That's bigger than abortion. That's a huge pro-life issue. Healthcare freedom, 
Um, and, and, and you were the first one to really talk about it at a systemic level, not just some of the parts of Obamacare, but broadly what we've done wrong for, for several decades. Aren't you, in fact, saying this, that you're not just a vote, but you're a voice? You're, so, yeah, yeah, they're in the minority, but if you harnessed a budget battle to create the ultimate brinkmanship point to bring these issues yeah. to the forefront – Everyone praised Ron Johnson's forum that he held as a minority member. He took, grabbed a room and, you know, uh, a million people watched it. To me, I thought, imagine if Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy would have a joint meeting of multiple members and f- cover, you know, five, six, seven aspects of this. Imagine what that would do. That That's more powerful than any vote or budget or thing like that. Look, Daniel, you're you're absolutely right, and I do believe it's giving voice to the people. Um, you know, I've been suggesting to the Republican leadership for a month that instead of playing footsie with the stupid State of the Union uh, Kabuki theater, we should have all 212 Republicans in McAllen, Texas, or Laredo, Texas, or I don't care Arizona, and we should be on the border, and we should have all of us there standing arm to arm, saying we're going to demand that we secure the border of the United States. Or, or go do something similar on the, the vaccine mandates. Anything, like show any fight. I mean, to your point there, why is Ron Johnson having to use a sort of backdoor way to hold a hearing? Why isn't the leadership, which is the most oxymoronic term in, in all of politics, why aren't the supposed leadership, why aren't they driving the train here to hold events, highlight these issues? And I think the answer is, is because they're more concerned about the game. I talk all the time when I'm out in Texas about instead of taking back the House and taking back the Senate, I am concerned about taking back America. That's my job. It's not to be in power. It's not to have a committee ship. It's to use whatever voice and power I have to defend and fight for the, the people. And let me say one other thing. Our guys get so wrapped around the axle on defense and the use of the defense industrial complex to then be an excuse for all things funding. That's what they do. Go look at any of the videos by any of the Republicans who said, well, here's why I voted for this important continual resolution. It was because of defense. They've never met something that they weren't going to spend, and it's actually killing us. It's killing us by building up a big monstrosity at DOD that's advancing all this diversity and woke garbage, building up a defense that never met a war it didn't want to get involved in. And then using all that defense spending to then fund the bureaucrats that are hanging the American people, killing us with their tyranny. So and then kick the soldiers out of the military. Now they're getting kicked out. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly what's happening. So I'm going to keep exposing that, Daniel. So are you. But, but I don't want people to lose sight of the optimistic part of this. I mean, again, there are younger Americans right now that are seeing this. We need people to take the mantle and lead. We need, you know, we need the DeSantis's of the world. Hopefully I have a voice in this and you and all of us and to carry forward the fight for freedom. And I was telling somebody the other day, why do we, why do we shy away from talking about freedom as leaders? Freedom is, I mean, other than faith in God, it, freedom is the, is the precious thing we have on this planet. You see what's happening in Finland. You see what they're doing in prosecuting a member of parliament for quoting the Bible, right? That's coming to a theater near you under the Equality Act. That's coming to America. Wake up, America. 
and go fight for the freedom. You get all misty-eyed about your granddad storming the beach in Normandy or fighting in Iwo Jima. You talk all this great stuff about the founders on July 4th and you see fireworks. Well, what are you doing when your time is called? Are you standing up for freedom? Or are you going to go, well, I can't go to the school board. That might embarrass my kids. I don't want to hurt their ability to go do what they want. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your, you know, your Starbucks lane of coffee or get off your Peloton and go fight. Go fight for this country. There are people out there doing it. That woman that took the microphone up there in Prince George's County and these parents that are standing up and fighting, hell, Novak Djokovic. I mean, I know he, he like, he's rich, he's fine, but he is walking away from, you know, glory yep. to be able to stand up for freedom. Well, God bless him. Each one of you listening to this, go do it today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Go do it today. You know, to end off on that optimistic tone, I'm curious about you, you talk about the movement, and that's that's really today's today's show is about that budding movement, how to prevent this movement from going into that GOP black hole and to tr- try to create something better and greater from it. Um, Senator Johnson was on the show on Friday, and he commented that the best thing he's seen, and I agree with it, is that more than ever, this has crossed lines. I, I, I was very siloed my whole life. I only worked with people ideologically similar to, to myself on every issue, pretty much. And this was the first time we, we had a lot of people that were traditionally more from the left, but we're talking about human rights. We're talking about bodily autonomy. Now, we would argue that so, some of the stuff they got into was you know kind of a BS version of it, but they these are the people that sincerely felt that they were fighting for what's right. And when this came up, they stepped up to the plate. And, and, and we've really seen that. So one of the things you have over me is that you have to get elected. You're actually elected. You deal with constituents. Are you seeing you are one of the conservatives, one of the few conservatives, maybe the only one, who's elected from a district that recently has become kind of marginally red, swing, purple, you know, district. Are you seeing that on the ground with the average voter that there's this potential to to break this traditional inveterate right left uh, demarcation where you know certain demographics it, 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 you know irrevocably vote one way? It, are you seeing that among real people, not just kind of among famous people that we're working with? So let me give you two answers to that. Like any good you know, crappy politician, right? Like (laughs) is two answers. One, yes, there is a percolating recognition of the need to get back to the core basics of, of what, 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 what you would describe as you described human rights and, and, you know, uh, protecting freedoms in that sense. That is real. And yes, you know, but, but the bigger thing here is, is Republicans, if, we're, if I go back to our, uh, you know, the political camps, Republicans are, you said that, you, that you're like taking it for granted that we would, I don't mean this critically, but that we would win overwhelmingly in November. I'm not sure that's the case. I do think we'll take the House back. But with all the redistricting shenanigans in New York and Ohio <laughs> and Illinois and all over the place, and the fact we already have 212 seats, we're not starting with 175, um, we'll gain the House, I think, but I don't think it's going to be a massive number because of just the sheer numbers. And frankly, Republicans take for granted that they can waltz in on the back of inflation and jobs in the economy. Look, Daniel, I just came out of the field in my district two weeks ago. We had an open-ended question to the district. 
what's the number one issue? Or immigration and border was 51%. Mm. I've never seen a number like that. I've no. never seen a number like that. The next closest was jobs and economy and 6%. Now, we had some of the COVID stuff was scattered about. And anecdotally, that no, I get that a lot as part of jobs, economy, security, freedom, health care. So it was scattered among a number of issues. But why, I'll bring it back to your point. Republicans need to understand if you lead and you fight, people across the spectrum and even some Democrats respect you. And they believe that you're fighting for them. They may not agree with you on every issue, but they give you a lot of hall passes for disagreements if you're fighting for them. That's the message here. I'm not going to go convince radical leftist Democrats in South Austin or downtown Austin to get behind me. They're pro-life, environmental worshiping, radical leftists who believe there's not two sexes, etc. I'm not going to win them over. But there is a large block of Americans who recognize that there is man and woman, who want their government not to be meddling in their lives. They want the simple knowledge that their country is secure. They want to be able to go to the doctor of their choice. They want their kids to have a good education without being indoctrinated, even if they don't believe all the stuff, the same things you and I do. They get it. And if we just speak in, in terms like that, we win. But if we, it's like Reagan and bright colors versus pastels. We've got to have Republicans stand up and lead to carry the torch, and people of all parties, both parties, all political persuasions will follow. I believe that, and I'm seeing it out there. Very well said, and look, we'll be looking to you as this election comes to the forefront, you know, what exactly we can be doing to change and alter this inexorable, circuitous cycle of failure where they get back into power, do the same things. They only harness our points half-heartedly to win an election, but don't really do anything with them. Uh, but we're, we're going to need more people like you. Do, do you sense that there's more like you coming into the pipeline? Yeah, I think there is. They may not always know it. Um, but, but look, like always, it takes work, right? There's a lot of people who come in and they don't get it. I, I have a, uh, a person in my district running for a local office who uh, – was I'm not, I don't want to get into the details too much, but was taking an endorsement from an entity that really no conservative Republican should take an endorsement from. I highlighted all of the problems with that entity, and suddenly that person was like, oh, gosh, I had no idea. A lot of our people don't know, because God bless them, Daniel, they're not focused on it every day yes. like you and I are. Yes. We're, we're crazy. We're nuts. <laughs> we shouldn't. Yeah. But, but most people are going about their daily life. And then they care about their country and they want to run. And they go, oh, I love teachers. Well, I didn't know the teachers union is bat crud crazy, <laughs> right? Or, or I, I, you know, I love uh, doctors and hospitals and I got a great hospital here. Yeah, but do you know what's going on with pharma and hospitals and insurance companies in collusion to strangle your ability to get health care? Let me show you. And they go, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know all that. You see what I'm saying? Like that's our job. You yeah, gotta educate I've, I've always people. said that. Um, a lot of people. I, I did a whole show on this. A lot of people look at people like you. That oh, a lawyer. He was like involved as a staffer or guys in the legislature. And I always tell people, look, the best ones are people that were involved with the system and get it. They get the art of politics. The problem is when you have fresh faces, they're great. You get a truck. You know, we're talking about truckers now. You get a truck driver to run. That's awesome. The problem is if you don't have a movement, 
you know, leadership's going to put their arm over the guy and, and, and teach them the ropes and they'll, they'll get sucked in. I mean, you and I have seen this for years where people that were really terrific individuals, and I think they, they ran for the right reasons, they didn't get the art of politics with the degree of specificity that they needed. So they were co-opted by the broad talking points. Well, this is the best we can do. This is good. Here's a strategy. Um, and we just have to make sure that we have red lines of what needs to be done, what we expect that house to pass. Um, you know, because I don't I think, think people yeah. are. I think people are starting to understand more than they have, but it's going to take a lot of work on our part. The power of no, the power of just saying no to all the things that everybody else just says, oh, you must say yes to this. No to another program. No to an insertion into your life telling you you can't raise your kids the way you want to. These truckers, right? I just retweeted a thing with a trucker when he was asked by a reporter, are you prepared to lose your truck? And he said, yeah, it's just a material possession. Freedom is much more. That, that's it, man. It's freedom, stupid. That's the deal. And so our job is to remind people of that. You don't need, when I voted no, on an ALS research bill in December that was $500 million, $100 million a year for five years. I had, there were only three of us who voted no. And you know, all these people, oh, you hate people. You want people to suffer. I said, guys, what I'm saying is we don't have any more money. We don't have any more room in the end. You can't give another $500 million to Fauci and NIH and then <laughs> complain about the NIH. Exactly. So, and I said that, and then people, my colleagues kind of go, after they voted and they saw my vote, they go, why'd you vote no? Well, why do you think I voted no? We don't have another, you just authorized $500 million of additional spending to give it to freaking Fauci. Well, but, but ALS. Right, offset it. Change the system. Do something besides just going along with exactly. it. Exactly. And, 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 and I don't mean to get down the rabbit hole, but that's a really important aspect of healthcare as well. I'm going to do a show on it one day with the, a guy who has innovative ideas on this. We've been spending billions on cancer and this and that. And a light bulb went off in my brain the last year. I was like, holy smokes. The same thing that happened with COVID that we see in black and white, what's going on. That was probably going on then. It was going against the cure. It was going for things that likely will perpetuate the cure business without getting a cure. And if you have something that's, let's say, an off-label you know, drug that works by accident that there's some budding research on, well, nobody is going to put you know, a modicum of research into that, because if that turns out to be successful, well, then you have a cure for cheap. And why would you want that? You're funding the same entities that are part of the problem. And I think this is where some of us need to reinvent the wheel. We've been so trained to think corporations are good. We don't like regulation. We just want to like, but that was before, that was when we still had a free market. But now that it's a monopoly built by government, everything you do is going to go to benefit that monopoly. Um, Chip, let me give you the final word, and we'll we'll uh, sew up from here. First of all, thank you, Daniel, for everything you're doing. Uh, I need to come on more often. This is always good. Yeah. Uh, everyone out there listening, look, it, 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 this is our time. This is our moment, okay? This is our freedom moment. Let's go out and reclaim it for our kids and our grandkids. There's n nothing more important on this earth, putting aside our faith in the Lord Almighty, there's nothing more important than living free. And, being, and, and, and our founders knew, they knew it. That's why they gave us this system. As bad as it is here right now, 
the reason we're not as bad as everywhere else is because of the Tenth Amendment federalism and the Second Amendment pushback on tyranny. Fight for these things. Fight for those liberties. Get out every day. Do not be afraid. There are more of us than there are of them. I believe that. I actually believe that. But it doesn't even matter. It only takes a minority being willing to set brush fires of freedom, to quote Sam Adams. So, Daniel, keep doing it. All right, let's not despair. And let's uh, just keep seeking truth wherever it may lead, to quote Thomas Jefferson. It's freedom stupid, folks. And that is about all fire from Congressman Chip Roy till tomorrow. God bless you all. And thank you for listening.